I was telling him, Africa, the whole continent doesn't have a football magazine. And Africans are football mad, stupidly mad about football. Mm -hmm. And when you ask that there's no football magazine, there's no football TV. And that's just like one area that the thing we consume the most, we haven't even built a media for it. And so when you think about the potential and the possibilities and the gaps, the opportunities, it's really, really crazy. So I'm so excited about the future. I hope we capitalize. I hope we don't sleep and find ourselves behind or working for people who are not a reflection of us. So I hope that we fully take this opportunity forward and on it because it's important. But I'm really, really excited about the future of African media. Africa X. Create your life. Beautiful people, thank you so much for listening in to part two of this amazing conversation with Moses Ras Mataparuka. Because this conversation was so dynamic, we had to break it into two episodes, number 205 and 206. So I hope that part two is as enlightening for you as it has been for me. Enjoy. So the thing about what you just said in terms of opportunity, I think what I find interesting is sometimes it's a timing thing, right? Like if you had gotten the opportunity five years ago, would you have been ready for the opportunity? Would that version of you have been able to handle it? Sometimes I find myself saying, you know what? I wanted something back then, but right now is when I was supposed to have it. And so really trying to stay grounded in that in order to try to avoid some of the regret or things like that, to me, is still a solid perspective or I use it as a solid perspective. I think the other thing, man, I agree with you on the collaborating with other people. I think that's one of the reasons why Molly and I's relationship at Afropods works so well. We're like brother and sister, but we can honestly be like at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of opinion and stuff like that. But we can have open and honest conversations to bring us both back together and figure out a way forward on the subject, the task. But I think also we both know what we don't know and are aware of that and allow grace or other opinions to operate and help us trying to be operating in silos. And I think that what you said in regards to that, man, it makes such a huge difference. And even now, you know, I've been a solopreneur for years. This is actually my 20th year of being an entrepreneur, not including the stuff that I did when I was a kid, but I don't want to be a solopreneur anymore. I'm always looking like, okay, how do I collaborate? How do I do this with others and stuff like that? Like, that's where I'm at with it. I'm totally with you, bro. Yeah. Totally with <laughs> 20 years. Wow. 20 years. Yeah. I've been at it for a while, starting in clothing to public speaking, trucking, just different types of ventures production, all of this stuff. Yes, but a journey. For you, man, was there ever any point where you felt like you were going to give up? When, why, how did you push past this point? Not just one time, many times. I think being an entrepreneur in general, anywhere is brutal. Being an entrepreneur in Africa, man, tell me about it. Now, when you're like a creative entrepreneur, a media entrepreneur, and you don't come from political families and dynasties, terrible. And for someone who had sort of like a comfortable life, living, nice paycheck, security, Medicare, healthcare, everything you need to live. So when I was living that, my own family, friends, co-workers, people were like, you're not going to live here and go to Africa, right? Like you... <laughs> They're kind of like, okay, are you overworked? You need a break. I remember the first time I came, had so many overtime hours that I was here for three months and I was still getting paid and everything. That's how the system was working me. Everybody kind of thinks you're crazy. You start to question yourself like, okay, so there must be something I'm not seeing. And I remember so many times and I also had the pleasure and the luckiness of having a child when I was still in school. And so everything I've always been doing, I had to think like, okay, how is that going to affect him? 
if I don't have a job or if I leave this job, is he going to have healthcare? Is he going to do all these things? So there's been many, many nights where I've questioned myself and what I'm doing. But I think, and going back into my own personal story, one of the things that kept me grounded was while I was in Canada and doing this whole media thing and looking back at my own journey and actually learning about the genocide and how it happened and why it happened and the history of it and the key players and how everything played out. One of the things I discovered was that the media played more than 50% of it. It's the media, it's the radios, the newspapers and whatever that told people to, oh, kill everybody that looks like this. Take up your machine this morning. Go do this, go do that. The people who are propagating this hate and this propaganda, they were using media, they were using newspapers, radios, television. And it's not just in Rwanda when you look at what happened in Europe with Jewish people, the cockroach, go get rid of them. The Jews, the devil, they're distant. It's media that was used to dehumanize these people and these communities and get them to the point of almost extermination. And so every time I wanted to give up or quit, now I think it would be much more easier for me to say, you know what? I think I start this trend or wave or this mission of telling African stories. But more and more, every year, every other month, there's somebody that's reaching out like, oh, I want to tell stories of girls in these places. I want to tell stories of Africans in Libya. So there's more and more of us. I feel like I can afford to not be part of it. But back then I would be like, so if media was as bad as to do good, I believe media can also be a force for good. There's a problem in the world. The world doesn't view Africa or Africans or people of African descent as proper human beings. And I've started a platform. I can fight this. I know within myself that I can do this. And for me to just quit or give up, I wasn't going to be able to live with myself if I did that. People might not see this now, but it's important because when there's no voices that counter other voices, terrible things happen. Well, that sounds like self-righteousness. I don't think it's self-righteousness. I mean, when I went to the museum in Rwanda, the big thing that I noticed, it was the media that was initiating and pushing this narrative. And I think you see it in multiple ways throughout the world, how media plays a part, which is why we need people like you who are responsible with media and with storytelling in order to be objective, but also to be honest and authentic. One detail that really stuck out to me when I was at the museum was either a French or a Belgian general said, send me 5,000 troops. I can stop this from happening. It was written on the wall. He was saying that it seemed like a genocide or a civil war was inevitable. But he said, if you send me enough troops, troops, then I can prevent this from happening. In the writing, it said that you never heard from this guy again. Essentially, he disappeared, which to me kind of signaled that there might have been some other interest or something like that who may have been involved in wanting to see this thing happen. And so, like you said, the power of the media is so powerful and it's something that we all need to be responsible with. That's um, General Derela. He's actually Canadian and someone I've met. And when you see what he's gone through, personally, at some point was try to commit suicide multiple times because he felt like he let people down. Yeah, he's alive. And I think they said that he had disappeared. Wow. Oh, no, no, maybe I'm talking about someone else, but the general who was in Rwanda trying to get the UN and foreign governments to send him help, send him troops. Name is General Romeo Delea. He's a Canadian military general. And so because he feels like he failed, he was sent there to protect people. Of course, he didn't get the help he needed, but he was the one on the ground. He was the one supposed to help people. And because 
because he feels he failed, even though, of course, there's no way he would have succeeded with like 11 or whatever, 50 soldiers against a country's army or whatever. Just reading his book and meeting him and seeing him speak and kind of, I was like, you know, I don't want to ever find myself in a position where I feel like I had the power or had the will to do something and I didn't do it. And because I didn't do it, something has happened that I feel responsible for. I know it's such an extreme analogy, but every time I've considered, hey, I know a guy that works at the Africa Development Bank. They could give me a nice job there and I'm comfortable, make my money, get a nice V8 and a driver. I'm always getting pulled back to this is important. Stories are important. Stories matter and media matters. And it's not many people who, I guess, have such an intrinsic connection and relationship like myself. It's probably something I need to learn how to deal with better. But that's always been my pull and push. The fact that I know and understand fully well the above media and stories. Yeah. And just being authentic and honest with yourself. I think at the end of the day, I mean, you know, if I'm being completely honest, bro, like I've had to deal with that. I have been, like I said, an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. After college, I didn't go and get the jobs like my friends and stuff like that. And I took the road less traveled. Many bumps and bruises, probably more than my fair share by far. Right. But I stayed true to myself. And for the times where I didn't stay true to myself, it ended up rerouting me and telling me that you should have stayed true to yourself. And so when you look at a life, at your life, I think it's important to be able to say that you chose what you did, not that somebody else chose it for you and that you followed other people, but that you did what you felt was the things that you wanted to do and that you needed to do. So I'm with you 100 percent, bro. It's like that being grounded and being authentic and being real with yourself. Real people do real things. And sometimes it comes at the expense of what could have been the easy route or the more financially sound route. But, you know, when you look back at it, you can always say, I'm happy to wave it for what I did choose because I know that I chose me. Every time I meet you, we always end up going into quotes and things. And now you're speaking, I'm thinking of something else that I read. Someone says, make sure that in 10 years, you can say I chose to be here. Don't find yourself somewhere. Make sure you can say I chose to be here. I planned to be here. I'm not just here, but you can trace back your feet and say, yeah, I've worked to be here. I didn't just find myself here. So for you, kind of switching up a little bit, what do you feel has been your biggest challenge that you've needed to overcome in order to become who you are today? Biggest challenge I've needed to overcome to become who I am today is really myself because there's so many ways that my life could have gone south. There's so many things that continue to pull and push on my pathway. And so just that whole thing of staying consistent and staying in the same box and the same lane and saying, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. This is where I need to be. And this is my plan. And I'm going to stick to it because every other month, every other three months, something comes up, better opportunities come up or you crash and burn and you consider just finding something else. Just overcoming myself, overcoming my story, my background, overcoming my lack of early on exposure, knowing that I need to learn about money. I didn't grow up. I don't come from money. I don't know much about money and going out there and finding people who have money who been around money and talking to them and asking them questions like, oh, okay, so how do I guess somebody will give me 5K? Like, well, you know, <laughs> start here, work on this, work on that. How do I get somebody will give me 50K? 100, like 200. Like, what do I need to have? I didn't go to school properly until 
until I was like in class six because the genocide happened. I just started class one. I didn't finish being a refugee for all those years, coming here, having to learn Swahili, having to learn English, sitting in class where you're just sitting there and you can't hear what the teacher is saying and other kids are like telling you some stupid things to say and you say them and you get in trouble. I've had that lot to catch up in life to get to a point where I can. And then now overcoming that mindset of like, oh, I grew up on the street. I grew up in the camps. I didn't go to school. How can I lead? How can I be this person? How can I compete? Just overcoming all of those doubts. It's been a long journey. Thankfully, of all the things I've lacked or that I didn't have, I never lacked ambitions. I've always been a very ambitious kid. When me and my sister were younger, I used to have like all these papers and I'd be like, this is going to be my autograph. You know, when I'm playing for Arsenal, when I'm a billionaire, this is going to be my oh. autograph. Is this good? She'll be like, ah, that one, no. I'm lucky to have two older sisters who've always been kind and invested in me. I'd be like, walk up to my mother and I would tell her like, listen, you're not going to be washing people's clothes forever. We're going to have a house. I'm going to buy you a car. I'm going to take you places. You're going to be proud of me one day. Maybe we're just trying to be funny. We're trying to have a positivity. You're dreaming, you know? Those are the things that I say I've had to stick by or avoid to really be who I am today. So many parallels. I have an older sister and she used to draw her signature and then I used to draw mine too. And I used to be like, yeah, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be these things. So I used to draw my signature all the time with my sister and then I would just do it on my own. Like once she had showed me there's a certain way that she used to draw the B for our last name, Brown. I still draw my B like that, but she's the one who did it, who originated it and stuff like that. And she probably doesn't even know. So she definitely needs to listen to this episode. But my foster mom, I used to tell her that. And I was a kid. I was probably like nine. Her name is Mary Jackson. Rest in peace. And I used to tell her because I didn't understand how age worked. I used to be like, when I'm 99 and you 100 years old, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to have you live on the house on the big hill. And I used to be like, and I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to have to worry about anything. It's going to be like all this food. You're not going to have to worry about nothing. You have a nice car, this, that, and the other. And I remember being like, when I'm 99 and you 100, I don't know why that to me just was like the thing. I used to be like, when I'm 99 and you're 100. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that I could never be 99 and she'd be 100. <laughs> but she used to, what do you call it, play along with it. And it was that ability and the freedom to dream and to say those things. Bro, thank you for sharing your story, bro. Like there's so many parallels. Like I feel grounded because like I didn't think that anybody else was drawing signatures with their sister. They older sister at that, right? Guys make those promises, but just like how you were saying, I use this word a lot, delusional. Thinking I could be 99 and she could be 100. And she was honestly, she had to be at least 40 years older. Amazing woman brought me and my sister in. We were in a shelter. I think the shelter was in San Francisco. We were the last two kids to get placement. So we basically watched the shelter go from being like fully populated to being the last kids there in an empty, huge building. And she came and sat with us, talked to my older sister. Because for me, when I was younger, I wouldn't talk to anybody. I only talked to my sister. And so I sat there. My sister did the negotiation and did the business part of it or whatever it was. I'm just saying that. But my sister was the one who was vocal. I just sat there and it was just kind of like, you know what, wherever she's going, I'm going where my sister going. So I don't have a care in the world. I just follow behind my sister. This woman came, she sat, she talked with us for a few minutes and then we left. I mean, we didn't have no clothes. I tried to take every toy in there with me. And she was like, no, you can't take them all, but you can take maybe like a little box. And we had like a couple of clothes with some holes in them, man. And she moved us to Vallejo and clothed us and took us to school and all of this stuff, man. And that's how my journey of being from the V came about. But I used to promise the woman that when I was 99 and she was 100, I was going to take care of her. 
word. Have you written a book? I wrote a book on how to go to college for free. I haven't written like my uh, my biography. Actually, you know what? I recorded it, you know what I mean, from zero to age 23, but I haven't written a book. I want to do my books from zero to 23 and then from 23 to 33, from 33 to 43 and stuff like that and just do it by decade. That's my goal and with my series of books. So I want to do them as series. Already, I got the title. It's more work to be done. I think we need the first one. It would really inspire, push and help people. Sometimes this is something that happened with me also because before I would always be like the outgoing guy, the funny guy that knows everyone that's nice, that's organizing parties, that's bringing Saudi soul to Canada. Just doing all these things. I was just avoiding myself to speak about myself and who I was. And because I felt like nobody else has this range, unique experience. And once I started talking to people and they would be like, oh, no, I'll, my cousin, you know, he's weird. You got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. You two got to meet. You two got to talk. And then I would meet this person and I would be like, wow, they would talk about their story. I would feel like, are you kind of like talking about me in another way? And that I wish I had or I knew that earlier. So all that to say, you should write your book. <laughs> Same to you, bro. You got to write your book. You write yours, I'll write mine. Release your book. I think it would really help a lot of people. I think the same for you. So are you going to write yours? When you write yours, I'll write mine. Uh, <laughs> you already have yours written, so you're recorded at least. Uh, you know? uh, uh, you're avoiding, you're avoiding. Come on. You write, I'll write. I'm speaking now, so hopefully I'll get there. I respect that. In steps, in steps. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. Who has been your biggest champion on your path to becoming who you are today? I would say my mother. My mother and my sisters have been my champion. My mother believed in me when nobody did. When I was young, couldn't speak. I started out being last in class because I didn't know the language, hadn't done all these other things. And even then, my mother believed in me. My mother is old. So me being her firstborn son, it was kind of like a pride for her. Now it's kind of like I have a man now too type of thing. She went to school and she got to Canada. She was like probably like 40 something. She couldn't read or write, but she always said, yeah, my kids are going to go to school. And especially you're going to go to school. I grew up understanding that sense of responsibility, like being man of the house. My mother consulting with me, being a young boy. Your mother is asking you these questions about decisions that she wants to make. And sometimes I forget. Sometimes. I look back at my life and I'm like, man, I was nine, I was 10, I was 11. I was already like this much involved in life. Go to a point where you feel like your life is fake or unreal. When things have gotten tough in the past, I've just looked and grounded myself in that belief of like this woman that sacrificed her whole life and went out there and did all these things for her children. But since I'm her firstborn son, I always feel like it's for me. I've taken that one so personally that I feel like she's really been my inspiration and my backbone. And Love that. Love moms. Thank you for supporting the moms. I know it's not a very unique answer, but... 
That about unique, bro. It's real. It's authentic to you. What's three tips you would give to other startup founders in the African media space? Outside of the first two. So no, I'll give them to us all three so that we can put them together for them. Think about money. Media and storytelling is an expensive adventure. With technology and whatnot, you can become a you can become a storyteller on the phone or something. But if you're in media, if you're in the creative space, at some point you'll need money. You'll need funders. You'll need muscles for you to be able to fulfill the ideas and the dreams you have. Dreams are not free. Like they are free when you're sleeping, but when you get up, you gotta pay for them. You gotta uh, like cost. They have cost. So think about money. How you gonna get money? How you gonna scale? Be unique. Find a unique niche, unique angle, unique story, and stick to that. And then be consistent. The name of the game is consistency and longevity. You can be ahead of me by hundred steps today, but if I keep doing what I'm doing today and I do it for the next five, ten years, definitely I'm gonna be ahead of you. Or if you be consistent, consistency, consistency, consistency. Okay, love that. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Any career or hobby you always wanted to pursue? I wanted to be a footballer when I was younger, but now if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I would likely be a farmer. I would likely be like guy in the village. I I love the countryside. I love the serenity that comes with that. I love the peace that comes with that. When you grow up in chaos and in the streets and people always, because they haven't been there long enough. And so even these days when things get too much, I have a friend who has a farm. I go there, spend four days, five days, and I love it. And I see the work he puts on this farm and the love and the passion he has for it. Every time I go, he's done something different. At the end corner of this piece or by the river, they planted this tree he put some shade down and he's a guy that I met in Canada when school together started tech and so I'm always like can this be me and I love working with my hands and building things bringing things to life if you may so I think I would enjoy being a farmer what do you feel the future of the African media space looks like it's exciting the future of African media and storytelling is exciting because I was just with my friend Jeff yesterday Jeff Kenyanju yesterday or the day before yesterday Jeff has been a football journalist in Kenya for the last 10, 12 years. He knows guys playing high school football or even primary school in Kenya, in Tanzania, in Uganda. He's so well ingrained into this space. And a few years back, I challenged him to start a football magazine. It was called Soccer Magazine. Challenged him and supported him and whatnot. And then he found a job that took care of his bills. We are just talking because he's like, oh man, I feel like I should be back. I should be telling these stories. I should be covering these things. I was telling him, Africa, the whole continent doesn't have a football magazine. And Africans are football mad, stupidly mad about football. Mm -hmm. And when you ask that there's no football magazine, there's no football TV, and that's just like one area that the thing we consume the most, we haven't even built a media for it. That's kind of like the future. Now start with there and think I'll go to fashion, go to food. I want to see a day where African media or Africans are owning and telling climate stories or telling environment stories. I want for us to get to a place where we have an African at geo. We have all the wildlife and all these things. And so when you think about the potential and the possibilities and the gaps, the opportunities, it's really, really crazy. So I'm so excited about the future. I hope we capitalize. I hope we don't sleep and find ourselves behind or working for people who are not a reflection of us. So I hope that we fully take this opportunity forward and own it because it's important. But I'm really, really excited about the future of African media. What is your commitment to building a brighter future for Africa? How are you inspiring others to follow their passion and make a positive impact? You have 
questions, eh? This is Create Your Life. We only ask you questions that we know you can handle. Africa X. Good questions, Kev. Good questions. Your commitment to building a brighter future for Africa. How are you inspiring others to follow their passions? My commitment to building a bright future for Africa is to continue to tell African stories in all its forms. Is to continue to bring a part of Africa that people don't know. Is to continue to inspire, to challenge, and to move the needle forward. Part of that and also a commitment I have for Africa and for Africans is to continue to be me, to live my life, to share my story. I have so many friends, so many people who are always like, can't believe you entered Canada and you came back and now you're just here with us. I'm like, yeah, I want to show people that it's possible to build your life in Africa. I'm determined to do that. I know, of course, having gone to the West, I come with and carry some privilege that people here might not be able to have, but I'm committed to making sure that maybe not this generation, but the next generation can grow up feeling and seeing that it's possible to live your dreams on this continent. It's possible to live and die in Africa. Thank you for that, Ross. We've concluded the first round of questions for this interview. This next aspect of the interview is rapid fire questions. You are about to enter the dolphin tank. You have to answer each question in under 30 seconds. I only have one question for you to start before we start. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. First question. What was the last song you listened to on your playlist and why? Wagasabo. It's a song I've been playing for the last month. It reminds me of a friend of mine that recently passed. The past last year, that the anniversary has been this August, so I've been listening to that song a lot. My condolences. How do you measure or make sure that you're growing each year? I have a personal board of people that I check in and check out with. They check me. What was holding you back from creating the life that you wanted? Doubts and lack of proper planning and too much commitment. Commitment. Saying no more often. These days I'm starting from a point of no. So if you're going to ask me a question, it's already no. <laughs> That's awesome. It has to be very convincing to become a yes because I realize I spent so much of my time doing things for people that wasn't even often necessary that they won't remember. Well, they say their 30s are the best years of your life. I'm halfway through my 30s now. And so I'm starting from a point of no so that I can create the life I want. Top tech that you're using to make your life run smoothly. Ever since I got it, I've been working on my health. So I've just got an Apple Watch that's connected to my thing. So I'm managing my sleep. It's man helping me manage sleep. I have sort of like a serious case of nocturnalism. That's a thing. Insomnia? Well, you don't sleep. Insomnia, yeah. So where I struggle with sleeping. So I'm using a watch now to help me monitor the progress. So yeah, a watch. I have a Google Calendar. I have reminders. Basic things. I'm not very takey savvy. Well, Create Your Life family. He said health. So I want to mention that we are now talking to someone who is a former, I think, Golden Gloves champ and what other martial arts? You told me, bro. Uh, <laughs> I was a silver medalist or Africa Taekwondo and I was the Kenya Taekwondo champion for about two years. Never lost. Never lost. Yeah. I was a kid. So. Undefeated is undefeated, brother. Yeah. I've been getting into boxing. Still got some work to do. Same. Okay. Favorite quote or model that you live by? My life is my message. Mm. I love that. Favorite or most impactful book that you've read? Oh, man. Gifted Hands. The first book I ever read. I'm not sure about the author anymore, but really, really inspired me. Gifted Hands, Ben Carlson. Three jewels you would tell someone looking to create the life that they've always wanted? Be you, be consistent, and have fun. What's next for you? I want to live life fully. I want to find balance. I'm working to 
towards finding balance in my life where I continue to do the work I love, but also not just be about work and do the work I love and take care of people I love and take care of myself and not in a financial way, being available, being there, being present, being healthy at the same time doing what I love. Awesome. And what's the best way for the Create Your Life family to keep in contact with you? They could email me, mutawaruka at tapmagonline.com or they could find me on Twitter at Ras Mutawaruka or IG at Ras Mutawaruka or LinkedIn. For those who are not familiar with the spelling of your name, can you tell them how to spell your name so that we make sure that they find you? Yes, yes, yes. M-U-T-A-B-A-R-U-K-A. Appreciate that. And for Tap Magazine, you just released issue 18. How often can the Create Your Life series expect to see a new issue of Tap Magazine and where can they go and find the amazing articles that went into issue 18? Yes, so we are going to be publishing quarterly every three, four months. The issues are on tapmagonline.com. You can get into our mailing list. We send out a monthly newsletter so you can stay connected that way. You can send us article submissions at hello at com. We love stories. We love diverse stories. So if you are good with your pen uh, and you want to share some ideas and stories, please reach out. Okay. Sounds great. Congratulations, Ross. You have survived the dolphin tank, sir. This was deep. It was intense. I don't think I've ever been this deep about myself like this. So thank you. Thank you, Kev. Pleasure, pleasure, bro. All right. So we have reached the part of the interview where it is time for the turnaround. This is a part of the interview where you get to ask me any three questions that you want to. I have to answer totally unscripted. Create your life family. You know how this goes. Ross is new to it, but I'm pretty sure he'll jump right in and ask me just as good as questions as I've been asking him. So Ross, I only have one request. Yes. Please be gentle. <laughs> you didn't give me that opportunity. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest challenge you've faced and how did you overcome it? Biggest challenge that I've faced in my entire life? Yes. I think my biggest challenge was probably my biggest bless. My biggest challenge was when my older sister returned back to our biological family when I was 10. That time after that, trying to figure out life on my own without someone being there, who I was familiar with and who I had known since the beginning was definitely a challenge. And I think choosing to stay on the right path in spite of everything happening around me, I think was a challenge that definitely helped me to become the man that I am today. But it was a challenge. I would say like that, that 18 year period paired me for the rest of my life. But that whole thing was just like a challenge. It's just hell and chaos like daily for 18 years. And this is what you know, this is what you have to survive through. And so what you're thinking about is what the possibility could be afterwards. So you become fixated on a dream that you are or just committed to manifesting. And so everything that you're, almost everything, right? Because you're still getting into some trouble and some things like that. But everything that you're doing is just essentially hell bent on this idea that you have of what life could be and what life could become. That's where create your life as a term comes from is that's all that I had was a life that I could dream of or that I wanted to manifest. And that's what I stuck to every day when it was hard, where I had foster parents who were mistreating me or where my peers 
years didn't understand where I was coming from or where I was moving from house to house and, you know, all of these things. It was just this dream and this focus and this possibility. So that experience was the most challenging, but also the most rewarding, I guess, because it fuels me today, still to this day. What would you say are the three best advice you've received? To be is amazing. My college model, I'll find a way or make one. I live by that. I am that. I mean, there's so many quotes, bro, and so many good pieces of advice. I like, I seek them. Another great one, you know, I'm trying not to use my big bros where I say correction is direction, feedback is love. I'm trying to avoid that one. Hold on, there's something because I got my computer right here in front of me. There's something that I heard the other day that I thought was profound. My boy said this in conversation the other day and I thought that it was game. It's two quotes, but it was all in the same conversation as we were discussing amongst friends. Somebody was jumping the gun and it was, let's take a couple steps back. It's not what you owe someone else. The real question is, what do you owe yourself? And we were talking about commitment. And then he says in this conversation again amongst us all, how are you going to be faithful to someone else when you're not faithful to yourself? Dustin Jackson, my line brother, said that in conversation. And I was like, bro, truer words have not been spoken. And, you know, we were all talking about commitment and desires to achieve things that we want in our lives. But, you know, a lot of times it starts with you being committed to yourself in terms of fitness, in terms of diet, in terms of just achievements and just making things happen or, you know what I mean, even in terms of your spouse and stuff like that, right? And you have to be grounded in, in purpose to yourself first before you can do anything else for anybody else. Those are three jewels that I've heard throughout my life, but I got a whole sheet of quotes and just game, bro. I mean, shoot, this one from DMX that I got right here, right? Always trust everyone that you can see them well, but trust in the fact that you can see them well. That's DMX. He said that in a Dream Champs interview, bro. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, man, there's a cartoon that I was watching yesterday, Avatar, you know, The Last Airbender. There's a Zuko's uncle, Uncle Iroh. He always drops these jewels throughout the cartoon. And he said, in the darkest times, hope is something that you give yourself. That is the meaning of inner strength. Cartoons, bro. I love cartoons, but Uncle Iroh dropped that game. My boy, Eric Fondren, it's my guy. The other day we was on the phone. We had a heart to heart after our goals meeting. He goes, I'm trying to walk upright despite the pressure pulling me left and right. Come on. Come on. I'm like, bro. Hey, you got to send me some of these things. Bro, I'll send them to you. You know what I mean? One of my quotes, be confident enough to know that you are good, but be humble enough to get better. Good is the enemy of great. Man, my cousin Mercy, she said this when I was in Portland for my grandma's 99th birthday. She said, love is not love if it's not willing to be interrupted or inconvenienced. Michael J. Fox, with gratitude, optimism is sustainable. I can go all day. I won't keep going all day. But when you say pieces of advice, bro, it's not just three, man. It's just always looking out for the jewels and what other people are saying and being open to taking in messages from almost anyone. That is a commitment that I have. Yeah. So you got one more question. My bad. I just went on a tangent. I think people like they already asked you this. So I wanted to ask you about the favorite part of living in Nairobi. Living anywhere has its pros and cons, right? But Nairobi, meeting people like yourself, the diversity, and then also every day, bro, I get to learn something new because I'm not from here. So I'm a student. I think that that's a beautiful aspect of living in Nairobi. So I get to learn something every single day. The vibes, the coast is an hour away. I don't have to worry about being black. I can go on and on and on. But there are many, many different different reasons why, but the people make the place. I had the opportunity to meet some amazing people. So I'm grateful. And thank you so much for having me. It feels like I went to therapy today. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, man, you know, we're happy to be that therapy for you, a therapy for the soul, man. Thank you. I'm glad that we didn't do this interview online, that we were able to do it in person. I think it makes a huge difference. It did. Big time. Big time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Roz, man, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. My pleasure. Grateful. Yeah, I'm here for you. Anything I can be useful for, anything I have you need, or anything that you can share or support each other. Most definitely, bro. Vice versa. I actually have an idea, but I know you starting with no, so we're going to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Create Your Life family, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast, but especially on Afropods. And make sure to share with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to info at CYL series. The Create Your Life series is executive produced by myself, Kevin Y. Brown, and produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and team. This episode has been recorded at Kofisi Studios in Nairobi, Kenya. And as always, until next time, Create Your Life. DJ Ambition. Tengeneza maisha yako. Create your life. Nola shada simeso. Defarasa dundu bob. Shishe wa prabu. Nodeka butorire wako. Yebuta ndugi. Yarason hero tiftaru. Hanga ubuzima wifuza. Create your life. Africa X. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. And remember to use code CYLS. That's PodcastLaundry.com or call 347-871-8273.